A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. We are special breakfast people here at Pantsu Politics, but not just when Beth and I are on the road. The truth is, I want something warm from the oven every Saturday morning and Sunday morning. It's just the truth. It makes it feel special, makes it feel exciting. I don't want to work at it. So the first time I ever saw Wild Grain, which is bake from frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries, I was obsessed. You guys, I've been a member for over a year. It's amazing. It's so easy. Every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less, no thawing required. You can fully customize your wild grain box. You can choose any combination of breads, pastas, pastries. You can even build a box of only breads, only pastas, or only pastries if you'd like. And for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com pantsuit to start your subscription. Sometimes I make one single croissant just for me because I want to feel special and they're so good. You heard me. Free croissants in every box. And $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. Or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. I've got thoughts on best conversations while I was gone. And I've got thoughts on Sarah's. We're also sharing our takeaways from Tuesday's elections. This is Sarah from the left. And Beth from the right. You're listening to Pantsuit Politics. No shouting, no insults, plenty of nuance. Welcome to another episode of Pantsu Politics. We saved for Friday all our commentary we were saving up. It was weird listening to the show and being like, ooh, ooh, I got a thought on that. Wait, 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 stop. I got I got something to say on that. <laughs> I know. I loved being like, I wonder what Tuesday's episode is going to sound like. And then just pulling up my phone, just being a listener to the show. It was lots of fun. <laughs> so I went first. So I had an awesome conversation with Joe about the progressive left. And then I had the conversation with Maggie, Maddie, Abby, and Carissa. So tell me, what were your thoughts, Beth? Well, I thought it was really fun. I loved getting to hear from so many people. My main thoughts were about your conversation with Joe on sort of the momentum behind the progressive left. And I shared a little bit of that in response to feedback that I'd been getting on Friday. You know, I agree with you and Joe that capitalism has some problems. I also am not ready to say capitalism is the problem. Here's what I have been thinking about a lot since that conversation. I'm not sure that our capitalist system creates all the problems. I think that all of the things that we have and have not built around that system create our problems. In some ways, you could argue that in America, capitalism has been too successful because we're at a point now 
where we are living at such a high standard of living, we're constantly able to have these philosophical, intellectual, existential, in some ways, debates. Can I confess something that has been in my line of thinking about this for a while? And I please don't get mad at me. A lot of people are going to get <laughs> mad at me about this. Uh, I can't wait. I really, one of my personal pet peeves is hearing my fellow white women use the word tribe mm. to describe their communities. Because yeah. tribe for me indicates this real need for one another in order to survive. And the truth is, we just don't have that in America in 2018. Even when we are in situations of extreme poverty in America in 2018, and I do not want to minimize those situations, our standard of living is still very, very high. And so I think in that way, you have to say capitalism has been wildly successful. The problem is continuing to elevate that standard of living has become our only goal. And I think that if we could just all kind of acknowledge like we don't need and you've, you and I've talked about this a lot. We don't need to continue to grow our economy at three, four, five percent every single year. That's probably not possible. It's also not healthy for us. And it's leading us to some behaviors that fundamentally undermine our ability to live in community with one another, our ability to have the positive aspects of tribal behavior, um, using that word very loosely and without meaning any disrespect to communities in the world who still actually live in tribes. So I'm not ready to embrace um, centralized control of any kind of resources or means of production I do think that we have some work to do around um, corporate liability, what the fiduciary duties executives owe to shareholders are, um, and and just generally discussing our expectations as American businesses and consumers in terms of what sort of growth we expect. First, with regards to the word tribe, I mean, I think it came apart with particularly with regards to moms and moms of young children and women, because there is a real psychological need for connection with other women when you're in that stage of life. And I think that that's probably like I get the use of that word in that particular phase because you do you do have and do need a tribe when you're raising kids, not for your daily survival. I totally understand that point, but psychologically for your health, for sure. I kind of am frustrated with this this conversation. I think I heard somebody really unexpected, like I think it was Fran Drescher, describe our world as increasingly post-capitalism. And I like really like that phrasing and framework better because it gets everybody out of this. Well, we're either talking about government control of resources or free market capitalism, and those are our only options. Like I wish we could just move in a in a new direction instead of having the same old fight over and over and over again. I think that the biggest philosophical problem I have with capitalism and the conversation surrounding capitalism is that growth comes at a cost. And the standard of living, while increasing across the board in the United States, has remained stagnant for a lot of people. You know, and now I think that the quality of life in some ways by the availability of cheap goods has changed. but. I think the biggest downfall and the problem that democratic socialists and all these people are speaking to is that this growth that we've sustained from the beginning during the revolution and during the 1800s came on the backs of unpaid labor in the form of slavery. 
Then it became, especially across the world, because we took labor and resources from colonies and from indigenous people. And now I think that it is turning marginalized groups or low economic people with not a lot of resources against each other. You know, I just think that I totally get your point. I was listening to Jonathan Haidt on Krista Tibbetts on being, and he was saying like, basically like when people are comfortable, they're not going to be civil. Civic mindedness and consideration for each other is because it is required in order for you to survive. You need everyone. Everybody's working together and you can't make people mad because then you might not have the resources to survive, which I thought was a really interesting kind of perspective that we've gotten so comfortable and that's why we can be so nasty to each other. And I think there's truth in that. I think there's absolutely truth in that and what you're saying. I just think there's a darker side of capitalism that has been exploitive and that has left people behind. And not everyone has benefited equally, obviously, from this growth and from this rising level, quality level of life. And I would argue that there is a point of real diminishing returns, even for people who have most benefited Mm -hmm. from capitalism. I think it is um, a spiritual trap in a lot of ways. So I think we've harmed ourselves on many levels by taking this idea too far. I don't disagree with any of what you've said. My perspective is just, I don't see free college as a solution to that. Mm. I think that the kinds of ideas that we're talking about especially as it pertains to democratic socialism, are kind of getting at that. Is it the private sector or the government? It is that same tension. The other thing that I want to say is that I have heard from many people who um, are interested in democratic socialism talking about how their emphasis is less on the socialism part and more on the democratic part, on getting money out of politics, on sort of making voter access more universal. And I think those are noble objectives with which I wholeheartedly agree. And I think there is a lot of space for coalitions, especially right now, as we have far too many Republicans interested in restricting access to the franchise, where we're dealing with campaign finance issues. And I'm sure we'll talk momentarily about just how the flow of money into our elections doesn't seem to be slowing. So I think there are lots of opportunities for cross-party, cross-coalition building around those places where we have agreement. And I really appreciated a note that we got on Patreon from John, who said, that listening to me talk last Friday about the progressive left a little bit helped him realize that he's always thought of the parties in terms of having different values instead of just different policies. And mm. and that's exactly how I feel. It's not that I don't want people to have access to affordable, high-quality health care. It's that I can make a list off the top of my head of 20 really serious things that concern me about Medicare for all. And and it's not that I don't want anybody to pay more taxes to pay for it. It's things like, how is our government that can't secure our elections right now going to secure access to our medical records? What would happen if a foreign government were able to retrieve information about U.S. citizens' health in a way that allowed them to play on our vulnerabilities in terms of biological attacks? I don't want to sound like a conspiracy theorist or like someone who spent too much time watching Alex Jones, but I do have concerns about what that could look like. Those are policy-based concerns, not values-based concerns. And that's where I think, Sarah, your point about post-capitalism is an interesting one, because if we could get to those conversations where we're all sort of recognizing, hey, this isn't just about the means of production or just about federalism um, or just about quality of life. 
it is a lot about the levers that we use to get to different results. But first, let's define our values. I think we're in a much more productive space. Well, let me tell you, I have all kinds of thoughts on your conversation about prison abolition. It was such a great conversation. So fascinating. I think I've shared before, one of the most pivotal, instrumental moments in my life was when Sister Helen Prejean, who wrote Dead Man Walking, came to our campus, Transylvania. Do you remember her coming to speak? I do. Mm -hmm. Oh, so good. And I'll never forget her saying, what if you were the worst thing you'd ever done? Like, what if everyone defined you totally and completely by the worst decision you've ever made? How would that make you feel? And it was really, I guess it just hit me at such a, you know, developmentally important moment. But I always think about that, how unfairly we treat people in prison, how no human being deserves to be summed up by one decision to be identified as one thing. Um, So dehumanizing just philosophically, much less the the real physical, emotional realities of prison. One thing I thought that um, I would, I wish y'all talked about, and I want to hear your thoughts on is I feel like, you know, in this conversation about prison abolition, People are going to freak out. So I'm trying to think about the, f- the best way to approach this. And I think the best thing we should talk, start talking about first and foremost when we're talking about the humanization of treatment of people in prison is solitary confinement. I mean, we have got to get rid of that. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Can I get something off my chest? Every day I feel a little pang of sadness because I think about Griffin going away to college. Y'all, he's a freshman in high school. This is not healthy or normal. This is why I have it on my list of things to talk to my therapist about. We all carry around these things, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us. Therapy is a safe space to get these things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. You got to get it off your chest and you can get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Pantsuit. Just finished A Court of Thorns and Roses and craving another fantasy world to devour? Dipsy's got you. Dive into spicy enemies to lovers' tales or embark on an epic romance between immortal fae and sworn foes. They've got fantasy romance stories perfect for your morning walk, late night, or long bath. Dipsy is an app full of short, spicy audio stories. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. Discover stories about second-chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups. And there's a growing library of fantasy series with werewolves, Greek gods and goddesses, Regency-era historical fiction, and fairy smut to explore the bounds of your pleasure. New content is released every week, so in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to dipseastories.com slash pantsuit. dipseastories.com slash pantsuit. If you're looking for a very quick salon quality, but not salon priced manicure, Olive and Jean has you covered. We've talked about Olive and Jean's Manny system before. It has everything that you need for a professional manicure in one box, salon grade tools, your choice of six polishes. Those polishes are gonna last you for seven days or more. The cost breaks down to about $2 a manicure. 
Olive and June also has press-ons if you want. What I love, though, is that Olive and June each season is coming out with new colors, and I just got a set of spring and summer colors in quick dry polish. And they say this dries in about a minute. It seemed dry to me in about 30 seconds. It was not kidding about being quick dry. I also love the light colors in this set. There is a huge range. My favorite one is called Kitten. It's like a pinkish gray. The quick dry polish gives you full coverage in one or two coats. It lasts for more than five days and it is offered in more than 40 cruelty-free and vegan polishes. Olive and June just understands what's happening in our lives, that we need to move quickly, but we want to look great and feel great and have fun in the process. Visit oliveandjune.com slash pantsuit for 20% off your first system. That's O-L-I-V-E-A-N-D-J-U-N-E dot com slash P-A-N-T-S-U-I-T for 20% off your first Manny system. I don't know what we expect to happen to people when we can find them alone in rooms without any human contact. I mean, that's the difficulty with all of this, right? Because you have conversations about how we don't want our prisons to be country clubs, but actually our prisons having a looser uh, supervisory component and helping people with life skills that would make them more independent, happy, functioning members of society. That's a much better goal, you know, mm-hmm. a, a rehabilitative approach versus a punitive approach. That's what everything comes down to, right? Yeah. That's solitary confinement is a virtual assurance that we are damaging a person who probably already has a lot of damage. We all do, but someone mm-hmm. who is really struggling with their damage, we're damaging them further. And and if we are telling ourselves anything other than that, we're kidding ourselves. So what is the goal? Well, I was so struck when I read the new Oprah book about the gentleman who spent, oh my gosh, like 36 years on death row in Alabama for a crime he did not commit. And like the big pivotal point in his development is when he starts talking and connecting with the fellow prisoners on death row and like how essential that connection was. And I just don't think it, I don't understand how at this point we don't have enough science to prove that solitary confinement is cruel and unusual punishment. Honestly, I feel like we've got the science. There's enough science for that to say this is a cruel and unusual punishment. We have, we have a better understanding about what this does to a human being. So I feel like the, for me, like the best thing we should all start working on now is just like, let's just do, get away from solitary confinement. But the other thing that I thought uh, that I'd read back when some of the criminal justice reform was really in the news that I wanted to ask your opinion of too. 538 did this great piece we'll put in the show notes that basically, this was when Obama rolled back um, the prison sentences for people that did nonviolent drug offense. And everybody was like really pushing like, oh, you shouldn't put people in prison for nonviolent drug offense. And, you know, first of all, that was just federal prisoners. But let's just say we released everyone from prison who was a nonviolent drug offender. It just doesn't put that much of a dent in the prison population. And I think that's a really hard thing to think about. Like if you are a person who is passionate about prison abolition or just criminal justice reform, that I think that is the thing that makes us feel good. Like we'll just let go everybody that's in there for nonviolent drug offenses. But then we're still going to have a prison population that's like one of the top 10 in the world as a percentage of our population. And then I think we still have to start asking ourselves really hard questions like, what do I want to see from a person who commits murder? Or what do I want to what do I want to happen to a person who commits rape? And I think those are really hard questions to think about. I mean, for myself, what I think about more and more is like, I just I don't want to see people and I don't think it does anybody any good. I also don't think it's just cost effective to keep people, no matter how violent their offense, in prison past like 60, 70 or like these elderly prison 
wings and all. I think Sarah even mentioned one. Like I, that to me is just, there is no need for that. Although honestly, they're probably getting better healthcare in prison than they would, especially as they age outside the system. But that to me is something I feel like even if we want to push ourselves to think about, okay, well, what do we do with violent offenders? People age out of crime. Like you just, you don't see a lot of 50, 60, 70 year old men committing very violent crimes. But again, it's back to what you're talking about. Well, are we doing this just to punish them? Or are we doing this to rehabilitate? And I think that's, I think even if you're doing it to punish one, like who are we punishing ourselves by keep by taking care of 60, 70 year old men in the prison system? A friend of mine, someone I care about a lot, texted me after listening to this episode and said, look, here's my problem with this entire discussion. You, Beth, have not been a victim of a violent crime. And I have. And I did take some comfort in the person who came into my home and assaulted me being arrested and imprisoned. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to take that point lightly. I wrote about it in our uh, Patreon email where I do a midweek reflection. And, And I think that's a really important point. One thing that I would say in response to it is, I think our system, and Sarah Shotland made this point on the show, but uh, in a different light, I think our system can do a better job for victims of violent crimes than it does today by yeah. putting people in prison. Uh, if we are to scale down our approach to incarceration, I can't even put into words how much money that will save us. And those are resources that could go to things like victim support, even sometimes victim security. If you've been stalked yeah. by someone and we're not going to imprison that person, let's let's talk about how we can keep you feeling safe and keep you actually safe with that person not incarcerated for some period of time. You know, I think there are ways to better serve victims in the process than what we're doing today too. Especially because today, if if that stalker is sitting in prison continuing to fixate on you as a victim and eventually is released, no no one's served by that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I'm just using stalking as one example of many, obviously, but I but I've been thinking a lot about that victim perspective and and it is an important one and one I don't want to leave behind in the conversation. Yeah, I think it's really hard. And that's why I kind of brought up the, we're not just talking about nonviolent drug offenders here. We have to really think hard about what this means for violent crime, how we want to treat people who commit violent crime, how we think about those people. I was just noticing, and I think I'm going to watch it. I'll be intrigued to see if any of our listeners have watched it. I think it's a new Netflix show where they're talking to men who committed murder in very like sort of in-depth ways to hear their stories. I think it really, honestly, too, the way you think about prison and crime whether you're a victim or not, is a lot, is very predictive on sort of how you see the world. Do you see the world um, and an individual's place in it as all choice? Because I feel like, you know, I have conversation with family members that they just feel like everybody's just making their own individual choices and everybody can choose better at any given moment. That's not personally how I see the world. You know, I don't see the, I don't see us as just everybody's an island making their own choices. I feel, see us as individuals doing the best we can and, incredibly diverse array of circumstances as players in complex systems that we don't make the rules for. That sort of outlook and philosophy plays a lot in how you feel about this too. I think that's well said. And it's something that I think about a lot too, because I tend toward whatever the environmental systemic factors are, we are still responsible for our own choices. Mm-hmm. And that is my main objection to the the system of incarceration. It deprives everyone of the agency to do better. 
You know, I think yeah. a lot about that saying, and I won't get it exactly right, probably because I've put my own spin on it somewhere along the way about how most people need a place to call home, an experience, a meaningful experience of love and meaningful work to do. And mm. I think that's what most people really do need. And our prison system takes people who weren't getting those things anyway, probably most of the time and says, you're never going to have them. <laughs> what do we think is going to come of that? Yeah. All right. Shifting dramatically to Tuesday's elections, we had a special election in Ohio, which my favorite point was, what a giant waste of money since these twos are just dudes are going to just have to turn around and run, each, run against each other in November. And then we had primaries in Kansas and Michigan. And am I missing anything? Uh, Missouri. Oh, yeah, Missouri. Mm-hmm. Missouri. Well, first and foremost, the one I'm most excited about is friend of the pod and my longtime friend from way, way back at the Hillary Clinton campaign, uh, Haley Stevens won her primary in Michigan. Yay, Haley. Congratulations, Haley. I have no doubt she's going to win the election and be like the most fabulous congresswoman. I'm so excited. I was really interested in watching the Kansas race between the two gentlemen named Ron Estes, which my husband and I were laughing about how that kind of takes the race between two Stacys that we were very excited about in a whole different direction. <laughs> Uh, but the incumbent Ron Estes defeated his challenger. What I think is so bananas right now is this gubernatorial primary where Chris Kobach is going to have to oversee the process of a recount in his own election. Come on. Surely they've got a, like a trigger for when there is a, there's got to be a process or some sort of legal challenge. So he is not overseeing the recount. Everything I've read so far is that he's not required to. He has previously said he would not recuse himself, but maybe changing his tune on that. I'll be honest with you. If I never heard the name Chris Kobach in politics again, that would be the ideal scenario, I think. Seriously, I can't. I'm not a fan. Um, Then, of course, we had the special election in Ohio. I have they they still haven't called that, though, right? Right. It is really going to turn on absentee and provisional balloting from what I have read. And that is never a good result. You know, we've talked a lot about how much money was spent on that election just in terms of advertising. But think of what this costs the people of Ohio to deal with such a close turnout. And you know what really bothers me? Just to turn around and do it again in November. The whole nation has been on the edge of its seat about this election. And the discussion about voter turnout is that it's been astronomically high, and astronomically high is still in the 40s. Mm. When are we going to get more than half of our population out to vote? I don't know. And I know special elections are hard. I think it's because the, the more it seems like make or break politically, like the more the parties get psyched up about it, the more that turns off like sort of independence and certain people. You know what I mean? Where they're like, uh, more of this. I agree. I think we're in this awful cycle. I think the more money that gets spent in campaigns, the more that money is actually spent to suppress votes, you know, Mm. because people do just get sick of the whole thing and they want nothing to do with it. Also, I think people got to work and the way we vote is dumb. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. Um, I also think an interesting takeaway, considering our conversation about democratic socialism and the previous part of the segment is, you know, it wasn't hitting real big. Bernie's candidates, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's, she came out for a couple and they did not win in the Midwest. I don't know what to make of any of the very intense conversation happening about her. It really bugs me. I mean, 
Yeah. I don't know that she's so making gendered. All that, well, so gendered and ageist. I mean, she's a young woman. She's gotten an enormous amount of press. She has surprised everyone. She's going to go do her thing. And some of it we're all going to feel inspired by and great about it. And some of it we might say, oh, wouldn't do that. And I don't know how that's different than any other public official. And I just, I don't like the tenor of the conversation about her. And I, I mean, I would probably disagree with her on, you know, nine out of 10 policy decisions, but um, I, I just, I, I kind of take it personally. You know what I mean? When you see a young woman out there getting this kind of weird scrutiny from people within her own party, I don't know. I just don't like it for her. Can I be real honest? Do you know what I think part of the obsession is? What's that? It's that she's so pretty. That's why the media's obsessed with her. I honestly think that. I mean, I think part of the reason it's just she makes such good TV because she's so pretty. Like, I just think that that is a huge part of it. They like a pretty face, and she certainly has one. Not to take anything away from her. I'm not at all. Like, I think she worked hard. I think she did great. I think she won. But I think if she looked differently, they would not continue to obsess about her the way that they are. Well, and I think that I think Stacey Abrams is a beautiful woman, but she is not traditionally like magazine beauty standard beautiful. Right. And I think that's why so much of the conversation about her is insultingly. What a surprise that Stacey Abrams is able to do this. Mm-hmm. When Stacey Abrams is highly educated, has had a longstanding career in public service. I mean, come on. But I do think that kind of stuff is still at play. Well, we also had several women win their primaries. So we're looking at a lot of exciting options across the country with gubernatorial races. A lot of states looking at maybe their first female governor. I think that's really exciting. And on that note, before we move on to our next segment, we wanted to share that the Newseum Museum, the Newseum Museum, hosted a really wonderful conversation. It was the Freedom Forum Institute, which is a collaboration with the Women's Media Center and the Swanee Hunt Alternatives, hosted a media briefing about the status of a record number of women running for political office. It's a really interesting conversation. Um, I submitted a question, so I'm gonna we're going to share that um, in the show notes as well. So go ahead and check that out. It's part of something called the Power Shift Project. I love that name. And I think it's a good reminder of how many really good things happen around the museum. It's unfortunate that it has been in the news so much lately because of selling anti-journalism t-shirts, but lots of good things happening with that organization too. So next up, we're going to share some of your feedback about our conversations over the last few weeks. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, And Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you Ritual for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. 
there's not much worse than a dry energy scalp. Also, when you get your hair colored and then it does not last as long as you and your stylist discussed, it could be that unfiltered, mineral-filled water is the culprit. Hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin, and about 85% of the United States uses hard water, filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered shower head comes in. Canopy, known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, has revolutionized the filtered shower head. Dermatologists recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water, leaving you with healthy hair and glowing skin. Best of all, the Canopy filtered shower head is hassle-free. Installation is a breeze, and its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement unlike any others on the market. Go to getcanopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy filtered showerhead purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, our listeners can use code Pantsuit at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. So going back to my conversation, Chris emailed us and said, great guest show. I wanted to give one piece of feedback to the woman on your campaign panel who seemed frustrated that voters didn't understand that Trump's national behavior does not affect state and local government and that one has nothing to do with the other. Some of this may indeed be civic ignorance. Lord knows there's enough of that going around. But frankly, I do want to know where my local Republican officials stand on Trump, because to me, the question is this. Are you a sane governing Republican who cares about people of other races, religions and orientations? If so, good. I might vote for you, but I'll be happy to know you have I might not vote for you, but I'll be happy to know you have a conscience. Otherwise, you either share Trump's xenophobia and misogyny or you're happy to flirt with it for the sake of votes. And yes, I do think that's important at all levels. It speaks to integrity in general. So sorry to report those who are working on local Republican campaigns. I don't think you get to duck that question. He's taking over your party. And I think it's fair to ask if you're okay with that. I thought that was good feedback. He is like a he's like a Rorschach test. Yeah, the trouble is just the primary system does not reward sane Republicans. Mm -hmm. And so if you are dealing with that constantly and you are assuaging the concerns of independent and Democratic voters and some of your Republican constituents, um, you're going to lose. And that's hard. And, you know, I, I think that the question is whether we want sane governing Republicans anywhere. And I feel like the answer from Democrats right now is a resounding, not really, because the people who were supposed to be those people have severely disappointed everyone. And I think that's fair. 
Um, for people yeah. like me, it's it's really tough. I could I could never get out of a Republican primary in my district right now because there is no good answer to where do you stand on Trump? And the honest answer would stop my campaign its tracks before it started. So I wouldn't even mm. dip my toes into that water. And that's just that's where we are, I think. Also, Naomi emailed us and I loved this observation she shared with us about Democratic Socialists of America. She said she is one and she wanted to weigh in on Beth's query about the recent rise of the left and how baffling you find it as a solution to the current politics. At risk of speaking for others, I think the key piece for many of us is the Democratic aspect. You mentioned that in the first show, but I really liked her observation. She's Michelle Foucault, which I thought was fancy. I think of Michelle Foucault's observation that totalitarianism is not found in a large government apparatus, i.e. the welfare state of Western Europe, but actually in the subordinating of the state to the dominance of a single party. What we are seeing in recent years is a surrender of the state to profiteering corporations, military industrial complex, prison industrial complex, the health insurance racket, charter schools, etc., moving these institutions even farther from public control and from the influence of voters. From my perspective in Washington, both major parties are merely variations of the same capitalist party that is growing increasingly unresponsive to everyday citizens' needs. Central to our mission is organizing people who have not been engaged in the political process so that, like your guest said today, instead of telling people to call their representatives, a broader range of people can be those representatives. I love that. I thought that was a really interesting way to think about it, and I thought it was a good observation. I value that perspective, and this is where I always go back to our gas and brakes analogy. I think we need both of those perspectives because yeah. I think that you're right that, and, and Naomi is right that corporate apparatus can have an outsized influence and so can the state and we need to be constantly doing the dance of how to keep both of those influences in check and i think we need people with different perspectives about which poses the greater risk and we need that tension and i think it's true that we haven't had enough of that tension in recent years carrie anderson our uh, middle east expert <laughs> wrote in beloved Beloved Middle East expert. Absolutely. Wrote in to talk with us about her experience of living in a community um, that is very impacted by the military's presence there. And she was responding to our discussion with uh, Libby Jameson about Homefront Rising. And she said, um, it's it's great to focus on these families and what they deal with. And that's really important. There are wonderful benefits to living in a community with lots of military families, fascinating people who come through our lives, lots of at-home spouses who provide critical volunteer power in schools and churches, partly because they're service-oriented and partly because they're often the groups of spouses without regular jobs and economic benefits. There are also costs, people who move a lot. While many are active in the community, some withdraw and just hang out with other military families for understandable reasons. And the bigger issue for us personally is dealing with the constant reality that many of my friends and my kids' friends will only be here for a couple of years. Last summer, two of my friends and two of my kids' friends, including my younger son's best friend, moved away at the same time, both military. I had a moment where I thought, I just can't constantly invest as much in people who will leave so soon. And I only want to focus on relationships with non-military people. But very quickly, I realized how much I'd lose in that. I'd lose the opportunity for my kids and me to know a large group of interesting, good people. So for now, I accept it for what it is. Last week, we were on vacation and met up with one of those families who had moved, and it was great. I feel that. That's hard. I'm, you know, One of my best friends was in the military for a while, and it was really interesting to watch. But she's still so close with a lot of people she met in the military. And I think it is... 
a good lesson for kids to learn that, um, you know, seasons of life and seasons of friendship and how to maintain those friendships. But it is hard. I mean, listen, I don't handle it well when anybody moves out of Paducah. You can ask some of my friends who've moved. I'm like, no, this is no, that's unacceptable. You're not allowed to move or go anywhere else. Everyone must stay here. One thing that Carrie's comment connects with for me is Oliver's reaction on Twitter in a very negative way to the idea of more military spouses in leadership positions. And his point was, how would you feel if there was a push for more military control governments in Russia, China, Iran? And I understand that. And I want to say, I don't think that what I am hoping or expecting from more military spousal representation in Congress is that the military is controlling the government. It is that the people who experience the very real consequences of troop deployment and the very real consequences of the way that we train, equip, move our military families all over the United States, um, who experience the consequences of our veteran system not working well, have that voice in government. Not the government is, you know, 100 percent people connected to the military, but that there is a stronger informed citizen check on our government's use of the military. Because as hard as it is for families like Carrie's who are watching their beloved friends move out of their communities very quickly, imagine being a family that is moved all over the place. And people have rich and wonderful experiences of that. Um, we just talked with someone who lived that life on The Nuanced Life this week, but that's really hard too. And I would love for more people who've lived that lifestyle to talk about, is like, does that work very well? Is that a good idea? Um, how can we better inform the American people about the mission of the troops? So I just wanted to kind of connect Carrie's feedback with Oliver's in thinking through the work that Homefront Rising is doing. Also, Sabrina... This was so awesome. She sent us the most awesome, excited email because I mentioned the interstate highway system and I have to share all her fun facts. So she says, another fun fact, Eisenhower's main purpose for instituting it was to transport military vehicles and weapons efficiently after World War II. Another not so fun fact, the federal gas tax has not, tax has not increased since 1993 and is not indexed for inflation. Okay, first of all, why did they let that pass without being indexed for inflation? That's bananas. Which is the equivalent of you trying to run your household without a raise for 25 years and to add more fun, cars are more fuel efficient which is a good thing. So each individual pays less into funding, improvements, and expansion to the internet state system. So that's equivalent of sharing a job with a robot, and you only get any paid when you do the work, not the robot. <laughs> oh, and more fun facts. And I always forget this, and I think it's so interesting. Even numbers are east-west interstates, and odd numbers are north-south interstates. And the start on the west and the south, so I-5 is California, I-95 is Florida, I-10 is the southernmost route, I-90 is the northernmost, and if it has a number in front of the interstate number, example I-405, it means it is a spur off I-5 and will feed back into it at some point. That is so interesting. I love it. I love it. You know, not not too many fun facts for us, Sabrina. We love fun, wonky facts like that, don't we, Beth? We do. Well, thank you for joining us for another episode of Pantsuit Politics. So nice. So, so nice to be back together again. We will be back on Tuesday with part three of our 9-11 series. And this at this point, we're going to pick up with the USS Cole bombing and talk in depth about the relationship between the CIA and the FBI that led to 9-11. And then... The next Tuesday, we're going to be joined by none other than Amy McGrath as part of our continuing conversation with women seeking office. So stay with us. Thank you for all your feedback. Until we're with you again, keep it nuanced, y'all. 
Fancy Politics is produced by Dylan Garvin. Elise Knapp is our production assistant. Dante Lima is the composer and performer of our theme music. Our show is listener-supported. Special thanks to our executive producers, Tracy Putoff, George Niedermeyer, James Randall, Cherry Haas, Nicholas Holland, and Chad Silvers. To support Pantsuit Politics and receive lots of bonus features, visit patreon.com slash pantsuitpolitics. You can connect with us on our website, www.pantsuitpoliticsshow.com. Sign up for our weekly emails and follow us on Instagram.